Well, good morning online. Good morning, Alma. Good morning, Mount Pleasant. It's great to be together. Um, when I was a young fellow in school, I, I will never forget talking to my friend Jimmy. And that evening, there was going to be an international soccer game between Ireland, I think it was Poland. And I went up to Jimmy and I said to him, Hey, Jimmy, who do you think is going to win tonight? And he looked at me really seriously. <clears throat> you could just tell the cogs were turning. He's like, I think we're going to win. And I didn't have a second to say anything. And he quickly said, or we might lose. <laughs> and I was, I was looking at him like, and then before I could say anything else, and you could see, you know that look on a person's face when they're super focused? His eyes were like darting back and forth. You could just see the cogs turning. He said, oh, it could be a draw. <laughs> I said, I'd like to thank you, Jimmy, for that insightful sports commentary on the game coming up tonight. What I want to do today is I want to leave us with zero ambiguity. I want you walking out the doors here today with absolute crystal clear understanding of what we are about as a church and for you personally what you are about. In terms of the question like, God, what is my life supposed to be accomplishing? What are, what are the purposes that you have for my life? I want for that in you today to be absolutely crystal clear. And I want to show you that from God's word. They talk about when you're attempting to cast vision, which is what I will be trying to do my best today, to cast vision into our hearts. Um, they talk about this idea of moving from here uh, to there. Pretty simple idea. How, how do we move from here to there? And they say one of the big mistakes when people are attempting to communicate change and mission and vision and direction, and what should we be doing in terms of like, I know we're here, but we've got to go there. Uh, one of the worst things that you can do is to say, well, there is great. You're going to love it there because 99% of people are actually like, sorry, we're here and we're fine where we are. We don't want to change and we don't want to move. And so they say one of the things that you've got to do when you're trying to describe a, a better alternative, a preferred future, is you've got to say, hang on a second, where we are here, it is unthinkable that we would remain here. What may be very uh, a sense of content for, for many of us, uh, as you are attempting to cast vision, that each one of us would go at the end of the day, okay, it would be intolerable for me to think of just staying here. I must move to there. So that's what I want to do. So I'm going to paint a picture for you right now, and I, I'm going to paint a picture for what it looks like for people who live in central Michigan particularly Isabella and Gratia County. I want to show you exactly what that looks like, and I'm just going to state some facts. Some of these facts are wonderful, some of them are perfectly neutral, and some of them, as you'll hear, are, are pretty hard to swallow. They're, they're not good. So I want you to see what here looks like. Here's what it is. Um, throughout the course of the pandemic, the last 18 months, we've certainly seen some businesses struggle and close. But equally so, did you know this, that there are businesses, particularly in the state of Michigan, that are booming right now in the last 18 months. You don't hear about that very often. Construction is booming. Home improvement. If you want to get a swimming pool in your backyard, you have to go on a long waiting list. Real estate and the price of property is going up. Online gaming. I heard a statistic yesterday on the radio that this year's uh, gambling on college football and professional football in the United States of America will be close to $75 billion. 
The sale of alcohol, booming. Recreational marijuana. Outdoor pursuits, did you know that? Over the course of the last 18 months. So if you want to buy an RV, you want to go camping, you want to go uh, fishing, you want to buy a boat, all of those kinds of things, the businesses are booming. Soaring Eagle Casino made $305 million in 2020. Employs 4,000 people. CMU, I haven't seen the numbers for this year, but CMU has about 14,500 students. Alma College has 1,500 students. Alma's ranked uh, 10th in the Midwest. Michigan ranks fifth in the nation for best opportunity. Now, what does that mean? What, what does it mean uh, to, for, uh, for Michigan to be best opportunity? Well, their criteria for that is it's an affordable place to live, there's economic opportunity, and a sense of equality. Federal funding throughout the pandemic was $165 billion to bring help and relief for a variety of businesses, unemployment, childcare costs, and emergency situations. At the end of November 2020, over 900,000 people in Michigan were collecting unemployment. 11 million children in America live in poverty. That's one in every seven child. 371,000 children in Michigan live in poverty. Just shy of 12,000 children in the foster care system in Michigan. Almost 28,000 confirmed cases of child abuse and neglect in Michigan in 2020. 1.3 million residents in Michigan have a mental health condition. Michigan is third in the country for a shortage of mental health professionals. Third. One in five youths in Michigan have at least one mental health condition. Of those who suffer with depression, less than half of them actually have any access to care at all. Almost 1,500 suicides in Michigan in 2019. Michigan continues to have one of the highest rates of heroin addiction in the country. 2,385 people died of a drug overdose in Michigan in 2019. 30,000 children in Michigan depend upon or are abusing illicit drugs or alcohol. 55% of children in third grade cannot read at a third grade level. And here's the last one. There are 42,500 people living in Gratiot County. There are 7,500 people living in Isabella County. These are your neighbors, your colleagues, your family members, and your friends. 70% of those people, the 42,500 and the 7,500, 70% of those people that you share your life with have zero affiliation with Jesus Christ. That's here. And that is intolerable. Amen? Now, there are some positive things in there. There are some neutral things in there. But there's some challenges in there, too. If I could sum this up in one sentence, and it is not a perfect scientific sentence, it is my attempt to take a look at that. Here's my statement. Listen to this carefully. We live in a place where many businesses are booming, where education and opportunity are booming. In the hidden context of suicide, addiction, poverty, and the neglect of the most vulnerable in society, of whom Jesus Christ is a complete stranger. What does that do to you? What if Jesus started happening in central Michigan like Jesus has never happened before? What if thousands and thousands of people turned to Jesus Christ as people have by the millions over the centuries and over the continents? 
What if in thousands of those people's lives that you know and that you live with, that sins got repented of and confessed and forgiven and healed? What if marriages started being put back together? What if God were to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their moms and their dads, their parents? What if barriers started to be broken down? What if people who have a lot of resources in their life stopped using those resources just to elevate their own comfort and instead they elevated their generosity? What is God up to around here? Today, I want to talk to you about, in crystal clear terms, what I simply would call the big why. Why do we exist as a church? What might be the great why of your life, personally? Why are you on this planet as a human being? So here are the words of Jesus Christ just before he ascended into heaven. Now, if you're familiar with this scripture, it's from Matthew chapter 28. I want you to listen extra carefully because I have deliberately changed a word and I want you to catch it. If you're hearing this scripture for the first time, I'm so excited to introduce you to the final mission words of Jesus Christ over your life. Listen to this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make Christians of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Anyone pick up on the word that I changed? It was the word... Christian. Jesus never, ever said, go make Christians of anybody. He never said it. Instead, he said, go make disciples. Now, this is really important because a lot of people think that the mission of the church is to go to make a bunch of Christians. Now, that leads to a very interesting question. What on earth is a Christian? How do you define that? What do you think the average unchurched person thinks about when they think about a Christian? Well, I think that they would say a Christian is a moralistic, homophobic, anti-science, judgmental bigot who doesn't believe in dinosaurs, but believes that they're the only ones who are going to heaven while secretly relishing the fact that everyone else is going to hell. Well, I'm not one of those. I don't ever want to be one of those. I don't know what that is, but I don't want to be that. How does the Bible define the word Christian? Well, here's where it's getting really interesting. Because the word Christian is hardly in the Bible at all. It's only in the Bible three times. It's a made-up word. It was a word that people outside of the church used to describe the people who were inside the church. And the reason why they needed a made-up word was, initially, when the church, those followers of the way, the followers of Jesus Christ, initially, when that was formed, those individuals were all Jewish people. But very, very quickly, what we found was, it wasn't just Jewish people anymore. And the word was, Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, started to come into the church. And the world looked at that, and they said, what is this group of people mixed up with Jews and Gentiles? And they came up with a nickname, Christians. Actually, years later, those who were inside the church came up with a nickname for those who were outside of the church, and they called them pagans. The Bible doesn't really define the word Christian. 
The Bible doesn't tell anybody to become a Christian. Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus, in fact, his whole life was Jewish. The word Christian is in the Bible only three times. The word disciple, or could equally be translated apprentice. That word is found in the Bible 269 times. So the Bible is a book by disciples, about disciples, for disciples. Jesus didn't call 12 Christians to follow him. He called 12 disciples. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to reform all of religion. He came to love the human race in a way that no religion, not even Christianity, could put in a box. And then when he sent his followers out, he didn't say, go create more Christians. He said, go make more disciples. Now, of course, the great question is, why? What's the big deal about a disciple? If that is core, if these are the final words of Jesus Christ before he ascends into heaven, if that is so important, what's so great about being a disciple? Well, I want to take a look at this statement by an author whose name is Dallas Willard. In fact, I wonder if we could read these words together. Can we pop these up on the screen? Let's read this together. There is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. One more time, a little bit louder. There is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. The reason the offer of discipleship to Christ matters more than anything else is because there's no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. None. You just list the problem. Any problem. Greed, sexual assault, fear, violence, injustice, divorce, racism, hatred, bitterness, death, pollution, rejection, suffering, apathy, addiction, grief, war, hunger, hatred, whatever it is. This is terribly important. And you're not going to hear this anywhere else outside of a gathering of those who love Jesus Christ. Human problems cannot all be solved by human means. Human problems will not be solved by human nature. You want to know why? Because human nature is the problem. That's the difficulty. There are all kinds of problems that technology will never, ever solve. There are all kinds of problems in this world that innovation will never solve. There are all kinds of problems in this world, and money will never solve them. They won't even touch it. But there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. And that, yes, certainly includes the problem of the forgiveness of sins and free grace from God. It includes the mega problem of death. It means that we can now live with God forever and ever. And it includes the, any other problem that any person anywhere on the planet Earth will ever face. You see, discipleship to Jesus is the greatest offer out there. Because there's no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. Jesus had little to nothing to say about becoming a Christian. Jesus never used the word Christian. Jesus had a lot to say about being a disciple. Luke chapter 9. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross daily, and follow me. Here's another way of putting it. I'm going to go back to this author. He's one of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard. This is how he kind of looks at that verse. He says, a disciple is any person whose ultimate goal is to live as Jesus would live if he were in their place. It's a very simple definition. 
A disciple is anyone whose ultimate goal, and I want you to think about your normal daily life, not some Everest moment in your life, your normal grind life. A disciple is any person whose ultimate goal is to say, Jesus, what would you do if you were living my life? If you're in my shoes right now, that's the way I want to live my life. That's being a disciple. Then they simply say, God, help me to do that. I want to know what you would do if you were in my shoes right now. God, help me to do that. That's following Jesus. That's why anybody can be his disciple. The passage that we read earlier in Matthew, I actually love, there's a little bit in there, and if you caught it, it says, even after the resurrection, some of the disciples still were full of doubt. Did you catch that? But did, did you also catch that they were all still welcome to be disciples? To be used by Jesus because it's not even about the power of you as a disciple. It's about the power of the master. So here's a picture of what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. An apprentice is somebody who simply says, I'm going to make a commitment to be with the master of this craft so that I can learn from him and become like him. Now, typically when we use the word apprentice, we tend to think of art and trades. That's probably what's most common in our minds. If somebody wants to become an electrician, they get an apprenticeship, right? And they study with and work alongside and get really close to and watch everything that this master craftsman, this electrician who's probably got 20 years in the field, knows exactly what they're doing, a ton of experience, has bumped into every problem an electrician could ever bump into, and they watch them and they listen to them and they copy them and they mimic them until one day the master of the craft says, I think you got it, you're ready to go. That's what it is to be an apprentice. An apprentice is someone who says, I'm going to bind myself to the master of the craft so that I can learn what I need to learn. What is the craft? Well, in this case with Jesus, the craft happens to be life itself. So I want to tell you, in the core of my being, that the opportunity to apprentice your life to Jesus Christ is the greatest invitation that has ever been extended to anybody and here's the best part. You don't even have to be any good at it. <laughs> if you wanted me to do any electrical work, you would not take me on as your apprentice. You'd be like, find something else to do. No. But if you want to be an apprentice of Jesus, you can still be lousy at it. And he says, invitation extended. This is being an apprentice of Jesus. I asked Jesus, would you please be with me so that I could become like you? And that is what we are about as a church. Our what is to make disciples, to introduce people to the life of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Our why is simply because there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. See, when I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, all I have to do is ask this question. Whether I'm driving a car, whether I'm teaching a classroom full of kids, whether I'm cleaning tables in a restaurant, whether I'm writing code and programming, whether I'm an engineer, whether I'm a student, whether I'm a volunteer, whether I'm a full-time dad or a mom, whatever it is, I simply stop and I say, what would Jesus do if he were living in my place right now? Help me to do that, Jesus. That is how you become an apprentice on a daily basis. And it changes everything about how you live your life. How many of you actually do that? 
moment by moment. How many of you are capturing as many moments as you can in any given normal day of your life where you stop and you say, what would Jesus do if he were standing in my shoes right now? God, help me to do that right now. I want to follow you. I want to bind myself to the master of the craft of life. And our great hope as a church is that some people somewhere, some people in your life, people that you love, your neighbor, the 70% of the 42,500 and the 7,500 who are complete strangers to Jesus Christ would meet Jesus and would want to follow him. That's our greatest hope. That's our dream. Because there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. So here's the thing. If you believe that, guess what you will do? You will become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You will live that life. If you do not believe that, no matter how much you try, no matter how much I try to speak into your life, no matter how much somebody tries to convince you or pester you or drags you to church for a donut, no matter how much any of that happens, you simply will not become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You won't do it. But you will be somebody's disciple. Guaranteed. You will bind yourself to a master, whether it's Jesus Christ or whether it's somebody else. See, to be a disciple, an apprentice, is simply to learn how to live. And we're all going to learn that from somebody or something. You will be an apprentice. If it's not to Jesus, it will be to culture, or it will be to, to money, it will be to comfort, it will be to your own security, to your own success, it will be to something or someone. We will all be somebody's disciple. We all apprentice ourselves in some way. So how does this stuff happen? Well, it happens because Jesus' final words, what we read earlier in Matthew, has been nicknamed the Great Commission. This is what your life has been called to. I want you to go out into this world, and I'm asking you, I'm commanding you to make disciples. That's why we're here. Church, that's what we do. There's no ambiguity here. We might win, we might lose, it might be a draw. There's no ambiguity here. We are called to make disciples. So the question is, have you made that commitment to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's like getting married. It's like having a child. I remember after I married Kelly, there was just this gravitational pull towards Kelly. On a daily basis, she became the most important thing, and my life on a normal day in and day out, revolved around this person that I committed to love. I remember when our babies came into the world. <laughs> there is a screaming gravitational pull for your attention uh, 24 hours a day. Amen? Yeah. And they're older, and that hasn't stopped at all. That's kind of what this is like. Have you done that? And as a church, that is what we are a part of extending. Now, Today, tomorrow, every day, this September, we extend that invitation and we will live that life, the life of an apprentice. You ask the question, God, what am I supposed to do? You are to invite other people to be disciples. You are to make them into disciples. Now, don't forget our context. This is the world that we live in. In Gratiot County, in Isabella County, the stakes are so high. We live in a place where business and education and opportunity are booming. 
in the hidden context of suicide and addiction and poverty and the neglect of the most vulnerable in our society of whom Jesus Christ is a complete stranger. Now that is not a downer. I tell you what that does for me. That lights a fire inside of me. That lights me up. That doesn't bum me out at all. What a perfect place for the gospel of Jesus Christ to just explode into the lives of people. What a perfect place to make disciples. What an ideal harvest to be reaped for his honor and for his glory. So, in the middle of politics, isn't this a delightful season to be alive? In the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of, and tell me if this, is, if this sounds familiar, disunity and angry people and fearful people and a shaky world, I want you to know something. The church, <laughs> the church is indestructible. The church isn't going anywhere. It is the one thing that's not going anywhere. The church is indestructible. Now, don't get me wrong. There are local churches that can die. And maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've even been in a church. Well-intentioned people, and there's fighting, and there's politics, and there's squabbling, and there's a split, and, and there's issues, and then, and then there's hardly anyone left, and you see just these elderly people clinging on, and, and then eventually the doors close. It happens. Dear Lord, may such a thing never happen in this place. Protect us, God. Protect us from ourselves. Set our hearts on fire so that we would be sure-footed, secure in our identity as sons and daughters of the living God, bonded and unified with hearts on fire in this mission to lead people to a focused life with Jesus Christ. Give us more. Give us more, God. We are greedy for the 70%. Give us the lost. Give us every broken marriage, every broken man, every broken woman, every broken child. Give them to us, God. We ask you for them, that they would be folded into the family of God. Why? Because we know what it's like to be lost. Don't you know what it's like to be lost? Do you remember what it's like to be lost? Not for the sake of a larger church, for the sake of your honor and for your glory. Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem. The New Testament said, he set his face like a flint. Oh God, that we would be steeled to that commission. There was once a community of men and women who lived and breathed Jesus and the world rejoiced and it can happen again. And that is why we're here. I want to give you a moment right now. I want you to think about Jesus Christ who mastered life and death and rose from the dead. And if you have never made the decision to say, Jesus, I will apprentice my life after you. Today is the day to become his follower. If you are a follower of Jesus, and maybe this morning you feel discouraged and you think, I don't think I'm following him very well at all. I don't think I'm much of, a, much of an apprentice. And you're full of doubt. You're in great hands. You've come to the right place. Tell him that right now. Tell your father that right now. Lord, I, I, I want to pace myself after this master craftsman of life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. Thank you so much that Jesus, our friend, is the master of life. 
we commit ourselves to you as his apprentices to learn from you, to live for you, to follow you, the master craftsman of life itself, the God of life, the God of love and freedom, the life of the kingdom. Would you please forgive us our sins and make us brand new? So we thank you for the cross and we trust you and we will follow you. Lord, we do this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's stand up and worship.